Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. So what we were going to talk about is finishing up with Hosea. We uh, probably won't get to the end of it. I don't know. We might. Um, but uh, I got to Hosea 12 this morning. And uh, we were going through that a little bit at a time. Uh, we we actually started reviewing 9, 10, and 11. And uh, so now we're in Hosea 12, a minor prophet. And it starts off, Ephraim feedeth on wind and followeth after the east wind. He daily increaseth lies and desolations. And they do make a covenant with the Assyrians. And oil is carried into Egypt. Now, what is he talking about? Of course, if you don't know that the Assyrians are not really the Assyrians... But actually the Asurus, like the Canaanites, they are the merchants of men. And we've talked about that. And what are they doing? They're carrying oil into Egypt. What does Egypt mean? It means bondage, the bondage of Egypt. And who is Ephraim? Ephraim is the part of the tribe of Israel that went off and said, what is David to us? But he's also talking... He uses the word Ephraim and Israel almost interchangeably. And maybe when we get to the end of this, we will talk a little bit more about that. But it's not, Ephraim is not 100% Israel and Israel is not 100% Ephraim. It has to do with the inheritance that Ephraim had, that he inherited certain characteristics. So in verse 2, they talk about the Lord hath also a controversy with Judah. And will punish Jacob according to his ways, according to his doings, while he recompense him. Jacob, who's Jacob? Jacob, of course, is the descendant of Abraham and uh, was going to be known as part of this tribe of Abraham. There was Esau and Jacob. And they was going to be this great tribe, great People that numbered as the sands of the seas and uh, coming down. So theoretically, Esau is also descendant of Abraham and it talks about the faith of Abraham. The seed of Abraham is the faith of Abraham. We see that in the New Testament. So Abraham was doing what? Was he setting up a city-state and uh, and getting everybody to sign up as members and then compelling taxes like Nimrod did? in Babylon to provide welfare for the people, provide protection for the people, to save the people from the difficulties of life on this earth where thieves and robbers might come and where uh, tyrants and other kings might come and try to invade and take over your community. I mean, if you had a small village of a 100 people, three, 400, 500 people could come from another area and just pillage your your town, kill you all, steal your daughters, 
move into your houses. What could you do to stop them? You're only a hundred and they're five hundred. And they could, they can pick the time they're going to attack. So this was always a fear. So you might have your little village, but they would have a nation of people around you. And they would come to your aid if 500 guys tried to kill you. Tried to take your house. Tried to take your town. Tried to take your village and conquer you. And this is what, what Israel was doing when it went out in the, the deserts and in the, the wilderness from Egypt. There was Malachites and Amalekites, and they were all around them and they could attack them. And they weren't going to get any help from Egypt. As a matter of fact, Egypt was actually threatening to conquer them as foreigners as well when they were down there on the shores of the Red Sea. And God intervened. But now they were out there in the desert and, you know, Amalek's could, you got your, your grays, your, your cows, your, your sheep are grazing in the mountains and going up to the high mountains in the middle of the hot summer and down in the valleys during the winter. And uh, you might be following them with 10, 20 people, 30 people. But what if, you know, 50, 60, 100 Amalek snuck up and ambushed you when you weren't ready or when you were down at the well, they they ran up and, and, and killed you and and then your your family was all in danger. So they had a way of binding the people together so that if you messed with an Israelite, Dead soon, you know, and you, and he got to blow his shafar, and it was heard by somebody else grazing their flocks way off, maybe a mile away, two miles away. We were just out on the desert before we came in here, and we could hear gunshots from way off in the distance. It almost sounded like they were right there on the property, but it, because of the wind and, uh, the day, it was traveling probably several miles, and we could hear those gunshots, because it's, uh, hunting season out here on the desert. But uh, in those days, you would blow your shafar and everybody would drop what they were doing like the Minutemen of early America and they would come to make sure you were okay. And if somebody had killed you, they would hunt them down. They would track them down. And because thou shalt not kill, if they kidnapped your family, uh, they would hunt them down and free your family, just like Abraham did when Lot was captured by these kings that were going in and conquering one city-state after another. They evidently had an army that could scale the walls of a city-state and come in and conquer them and go through their houses and steal their gold and threaten to kill them if they didn't give them gold. Much as uh, the Germans did and the Jutes did to the Romans when they came in and conquered the Roman city-state way back before Julius Caesar. And they demanded that you pay a ransom or they weren't going to leave you alone. They were going to burn the city to the ground. So people brought gold forth out of their houses and they put them on the scales. And they had to match the weight of the king of the Jutes. And this is what was going on in those days. We, we could talk about the time of Christ wasn't much different. There'd be some leader. He would get a thousand men, two thousand, three thousand men to follow him, maybe ten thousand men to follow him. And they would come into an area and they would just conquer it and take what they wanted. And what could you do about it? Well, what did the Israelites do about it? What did most of the city states do about it? Well, they, they created a city state. 
Some built walls around their city-states. And some said, we are our walls. We're, we will hear and protect one another. Some took all their gold and, and wealth and put it into like a golden statue of of Artemis or of a golden calf. And so if you fled across the desert, your wealth was still there in the golden calf. And you had to leave that behind. And so people would stay and fight to protect the wealth. And amongst themselves, they used some other medium of exchange. And uh, that's why God said, no, you don't want a golden calf. You want loyalty based on love for one another. Put your gold away in your own purse and use it wisely to help one another and create those bonds of society that will stay with you even when you face almost certain death. Your your friends and neighbors will not abandon you because they are honorable people. Well, this is what the Israelites were learning how to do. And so if you attack the Israelites, if you were a Malachite or Amalek or even an Egyptian, they would come and avenge you. They would go and find the guys and free your family and uh, and free your things and take them back to your other members of your family. Because they believed in capitalism. Yep, capitalism. Natural capitalism. And people talk about primitive communism. And they write about that. We've written about it too. And it's nonsense. There was no primitive communism. There's no way to have primitive communism. There was primitive sharing. You would share what you hunted and you got so that nobody starved in the village. But it wasn't communism. It was uh, philanthropy. It was uh, people caring about one another and would share what they got. And everybody would know that you you were the mighty hunter who got this. I talk about the Eskimos. They would do this. All the men would go out hunting every day. They would go out and chop a hole in the ice and they'd put a hook down there and see if they could catch a fish or a seal or something to bring back the feed to everybody. And some guys never caught anything. Almost never caught anything. They would go out. They would hunt. But they wouldn't catch anything. But then someday they might catch something. And you didn't catch anything. But I can guarantee you the guy who was the best hunter. The guy who brought in the most game. The most food. He had the softest moccasins. He, they made sure he did not freeze. They protected him. He was a value to him, And I can bet you, bottom dollar, he didn't suffer from depression. <laughs> because he took care. Because people took care of him and he took care of people and he felt the sense of accomplishment. This is what it was like in primitive societies. And I use the Eskimos because they, they lived in such a harsh environment. But it was the same way with the Israelites. When they, they gathered at the foot of one mountain, that, and you can still go and see today where they made uh, corrals out of stone, big stone. They piled them up. Well, that wasn't one little sheep herder piling up these stones, and these, these corrals actually could hold cattle. And you can see that they could move those cattle down the chutes. And they camped there for some time, and they ate meat. They ate a feast. Because men who were cattlemen shared their meat with everybody. 
and everybody came to the aid. If somebody rustled one of their cows, one of those Amalaks or Malachites, they came to protect that man's private property. People said you cannot have uh, capitalism without the government. One person actually wrote, who would make out the deed? Well, I can make out the deed. I can write it down. This is my property. This is uh, from this meat bound to that meat bound. I can say these are my cattle. I can put a brand on them and say they're my cattle. But can I protect them from Amalek's and Malachites and other thieves and robbers that wander the deserts? Well, that's what the Israelites did. They respected private property. This is one of the things that Jubilee return every man to his family and every man to his possessions. And they did it without a central government, without a king, without a prime minister, without a president, without a legislature. They had a Sanhedrin, but as we've talked before, if you can go look on our articles uh, about Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin was not a legislature. It did not make laws. The laws were already made. Ten Commandments. Even the statutes of Moses are just trying to explain to you how the Ten Commandments apply in everyday life. They're not new laws. They weren't even kept inside the ark. They were kept in a pouch separate on the side of the ark because they weren't the law. They were talking about the law. It was Moses setting up concepts of what they would call precedent, how to interpret the law. But the law was for every man to enforce. But now, they had a king. They had elected a king under when Samuel was here. And they elected Saul. And, and that was not working out. And he forced the contributions of the people. And now, they then they had David. And he wasn't too bad. He repented, did some bad things. But then he repented of them. And then you had Solomon who broke every rule in the book. And then you had Rehoboam and, and on and on. And eventually the kingdom divided. So this is what Hosea is talking about. He's talking about a kingdom divided. And we just saw in the previous chapters where he talked about two furrows. One with grain and one with hemlock. Mixed into the field. Because the people were, again these are metaphors, they were double-minded. They they were divided in their hearts. And repentance is to remove that division and go back to the ancient ways of God. And we've added another article called The Ancient Ways. So you can see that. And the, that's what Christ's uh, religion was called. The way. It was a different way. And that's what Hosea is talking about. So he talks about Jacob according to his ways, according to his doings. Will be, uh, will he recompense him? He took his brother by the heel in the womb, and by his strength he had power with God. Yea, he had power over the angel, and prevailed. He wept and made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel, and there he spake with us. Even the Lord of hosts, the Lord is his memorial. Therefore turn thou to thy God. Keep mercy and judgment, and wait on thy God continually. He is a merchant. 
The balance of deceit are in his hand. He loveth to oppress. And Ephraim said, Yet I am become rich. I have found me out substance in all my labors. They shall find none iniquity in me that were sin. And I that am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt will yet make thee to dwell in tabernacles as in the days of Solomon's feast, of the solemn feast. So, there's this double-mindedness where he has not always done what was right. The Assyrians, again, were the merchants of men, just like the Canaanites. Another language, but it means the same thing. Just like Pharaoh owned the people. They went into bondage because a portion of their labor belonged to Pharaoh. But the Lord is a merchant too. He has uh, a balance to the deceit that is in the hearts of men. He can he can turn this oppression around with love. I have also spoken by the prophets and I have multiplied visions and used similitudes that's like metaphors and allegories by the ministry of the prophet so he's and of course this is Hosea talking about Hosea marrying a prostitute marrying a whore marrying somebody who has betrayed the wedding vows so this is the story of Israel it was you know the priests of Israel to be were to be the bride of God you know, the servants of God, the uh, wise woman of Proverbs, more precious than a ruby. But they didn't always serve the people. They didn't serve the people as well as they should to the point where the people thought they ought to have a king. And they went this other way. Is there iniquity in Gilead, he says? Surely they are, they are vanity. They sacrifice bullocks in Gilgal. Yea, their altars are as heaps in the furrows of the fields. And Jacob fled into the country of Syria. And Israel served for a wife. And for a wife he kept sheep. And by the prophet the Lord brought Israel out of Egypt and by a prophet was he preserved. Ephraim provoked him to anger. Most bitterly, therefore, shall he leave his blood upon him. And his reproach shall his Lord return unto him. So Israel had, had this is constantly the theme throughout this, is that this bondage of Egypt, where you sell yourself a slave to somebody else, to provide you with free bread. That's what they were in Egypt. If they didn't get it, they would have starved. But the reason they were in that situation where they had to sell themselves into slavery in Egypt was because they were full of envy and jealousy for their brother and had sold him into slavery. So now their sacrifice was that 20% of their labor that had to go to the pharaoh. It was no longer a free will offering. It was a forced offering. It was the bondage of Egypt. 
So, this name Ephraim is sometimes used name for this northern kingdom. Uh, where, it, at least in Hosea and also in Isaiah. In verse 1, Ephraim feedeth on wind, which they reaped according to what it said in Hosea 8, 7. For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. Same as when they threw uh, Joseph into a pit, and they sold him into bondage. They themselves signed their own fate, their own karma. They would go into bondage in their very in the very same lifetime because they threw their brother into bondage. They sowed the wind; they reaped the whirlwind. What you what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. If you want to be a free man, you must free others. Freeing others doesn't mean just that you won't oppress them. It means that you will come to their aid so that they will not be oppressed by others. If Israel just went out there in the desert and tended their own flocks and said, Well, I will not oppress my brother, but the brother was set upon by others or maybe... You know, uh, wolves and, and coyotes came and ate his sheep and you didn't do anything to help him. Thieves and robbers uh, attacked him and stole his sheep and maybe his children. And you said, well, I am not my brother's keeper. I'm not going to beat my brother up, but I'm not my brother's keeper. No, you are your brother's keeper. If you want to be free, you must come to your brother's aid. This is why Jesus said to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and to practice, as Peter calls it, pure religion. James actually calls it pure religion. Religion without coveting your neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority. So, the workers of iniquity, which they talk about in the New Testament and in Proverbs, were the lovers of the rewards of unrighteousness, which we covered this morning when we went back over uh, verse 9. And all these recordings will be on these different pages eventually so that you can use them for your own study Bibles. But these desiring these rewards of unrighteousness, these benefits that come to us by men who exercise authority rather than men who exercise love, who through covetous practices make us merchandise. This process of desiring benefits at other people's expense, which is this coveting your neighbor's goods. I just had a conversation out on the desert. People talk about, well, you see, you know, your neighbor has this really great wife and she's just a great human being and she's so helpful and he has this really nice house and a really good job and, uh, a really cool car, and you say, I want stuff like that. Are you coveting your neighbor's goods because you desire what your neighbor has? No, because you don't actually desire his wife. You don't actually desire his car. You don't actually desire his house, his labor, his sweat, his toil. You just want to work and have similar things because you think that they are admirable things to have. 
Having a good wife means you have a good mother for your children. And, uh, and having a nice house means you can put your children in a home where they won't freeze to death in the winter. These are admirable things that you should have every right to desire and to work for. But the idea of having these things because you've taken away from your neighbor, that is the covetousness that God finds as a sin. And that's what we do through the men who exercise authority. We want free education. We want free health care. We want somebody to pay off our student loans. And we told you this morning how in early America you could go to the best colleges in all of the United States or all of America, even before there was a United States. And you could go there and graduate and not take out a single student loan, even if you were the poorest person in uh, Massachusetts or New Hampshire or Virginia. You could still go to college, didn't have to take out a student loan. When you graduated, you didn't owe anybody any money. And you got this excellent education, even though you were from a very poor family. You had to keep up your own grades. You couldn't go just get the education without keeping up with the grades. But if you could keep the grades, you could get a free education in America. And not one dime, not one penny of that education was paid for by taxation. It was all done by charity. This is why America was great. This is because America was keeping the commandments of God. And uh, this is what we have forgotten. This is why we are in the present state that we are in today in the world today and why things are crumbling all around us. And Hosea was warning us of these things that it would devastate our nation if we pursued those uh, wages of unrighteousness, those rewards of the harlot, where we sell our rights to obtain benefits. So those covetous practices make merchandise of men, and they curse our children with debt if we borrow money to have these benefits, which every country does today. And we will be devoured because we were willing to take a bite out of one another. Those who make a covenant with the Assyrians... Which, you know, you could actually equate the Assyrians maybe with the Class A stockholders of the Federal Reserve. (laughs) Because the Federal Reserve was created by the government to provide everybody with this notes. Not real money, not cash, but notes. And, uh, which are debt notes. And eventually they ran out of collateral and they tightened up credit. Well, they loosened it up again when they got new collateral. And they got that new collateral with the Social Security Act. And we we tell how that worked. We quote the act. We read the book by the guy who wrote the act. They needed more collateral. That would be U.S. citizens with the Social Security number. And now it's gotten the debt has continued to climb because we did not repent. We did not change our ways. We kept, you know, borrowing against the future. And now every man, woman, and child, every person in America is collateral for that debt. And you can't just make it go away with the wave of your pen. But God can take it away. And he sent his only begotten son so that you might be saved from the same type of bondage 
that was coming upon Judea at that time was already upon Rome at that time. But the key is, is that you have to actually do what Christ said to do. So this is this message of what Christ said to do is also incorporated into what Hosea is saying when he's talking about people repenting. Those who make the covenants with the merchants of the earth who are those men who offer benefits, who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. That's the Assyrians. And they go into bondage, like the bondage of Egypt, when they sign up. So now you don't own your labor. They can take... It's not the same contract that Joseph made when his brothers went into bondage because they sold him into bondage. It's a contract that has no ceiling limit. It doesn't have to be 20%. I talked this morning about Sweden. People talk about all the wonderful benefits in Sweden. The average worker in Sweden can pay easily as much as 70% tax on their labor. That's right, 70%. The average laborer. Now, we're not talking about some filthy rich guy. The average laborer can pay that much. And there is no minimum wage, and uh, their Social Security is now a private Social Security. It's not even a government agency, but you still have to pay into it out of your wages. So FDR and LBJ and all these guys who brought in their war on poverty, their new deals, were actually bringing you back into the bondage of Egypt. Verse 7 here tells us that he is a merchant, a balance of deceit. Uh, are in his hands. He loveth to oppress. This is FDR. Now, the fact is, is God is a merchant too. Although he's not a merchant who just, you know, buys you. You can't just earn your way into the kingdom. But he will buy you out of bondage. And he will oppress your oppressor. But you have to turn to his ways in order to do that. But unfortunately, everybody is turning to the ways of FDR and LBJ and Cloward and Piven and all these other people we've written about and uh, who promise you liberty from your responsibilities but are actually delivering you into bondage. All those who sign up with them also love to oppress their neighbor rather than love their neighbor as Moses and Christ commanded. Moses commanded that you love your neighbor as yourself. That means take care of him. That means when somebody's attacking him, when he's having trouble, when he falls off a ladder, when he needs help with his business, when he needs help with his family, when there's a fire coming, whatever it is, you have to go to your neighbor. In order to do that effectively, you need to be organized. You need to have people you trust. Today, we, we talked this morning about Article 2, Section 22 in Oregon, which is just, it's just absolutely amazing. 70 to 80% of the people holding office do so illegally in Oregon. Elected offices where they take an oath of office. They're doing so illegally, and we show in our article on the subject that they are. But nobody can do anything about it because they can't come together long enough to even protect one another and hold their leaders to the very oath they have taken to abide by the Constitution of Oregon. Instead, they are secretly going behind everybody's back 
trying to change the Constitution. Because they want to keep, they, they are lovers of filthy lucre. They say, well, we need this money in order to have our campaigns. That money goes into their personal campaign accounts, which they get to keep. And this is all done right out in the open, but nobody knows. The press doesn't tell you. Your preachers don't tell you. You don't look it up. So this is what happens. You aren't doing what Moses said. If you're a Jew, you're not doing what Christ said if you claim to be a Christian. Deuteronomy 17:16 tells us, But he shall not multiply horses to himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt. What's he talking about? He's talking about the, what you're supposed to put in your constitution. I should put a link in here to the book Contracts, Covenants, and Constitution that goes to the... There are four, even five things that you should write down in a constitution if you're going to have a ruler who can exercise authority. God explained this in Deuteronomy 17. The four things that you were to write in your constitution. Only one of them, four to five things, only one of them shows up in the Constitution of the United States. Why didn't you put the other things in there? Because the Constitution is not of God. It's the best they could come up with. I'm not against them. I'm not against them for creating the Constitution. But I am I am trying to get you to understand what you're missing. Remember, or I shouldn't say remember, most of you probably haven't heard it. Some of you listen regularly know, most of the people in America... At the time that they tried to ratify the Constitution of the United States were opposed to the Constitution of the United States. They were opposed to it. They thought it was a bad idea. Most of the people were against it. Had it been put to a popular vote, it would have been voted down. It was not put to a popular vote because there was no contract with the people at that time. The people were not a party to the Constitution. We the people does not refer to the general population when it was written. It does now because now you're persons. Now you're members. You're members of corporations that they created such as the Social Security Agency. You, you became a person, a member, so that you could get the wages of unrighteousness, the benefits if a lot of people, and I, I just repeat this, I know a lot of you have heard it before, but it needs repeating. A lot of you think that Social Security is solvent. There's enough money in Social Security to pay for all the benefits. Social Security has never, ever been solvent. They've never had enough money in Social Security to pay for any of the benefits. It doesn't work that way. There is no trust fund. This is ruled by the Supreme Court over and over again. We have articles where we take you right through the cases and show you. If the United States is in debt, counting all of its debts and all of its assets, which means all the money deposited for Social Security, that's its asset, there is no division of funds in the law. So therefore, as long as the U.S., is in debt. Social Security is operating in debt. There's never been enough funds for Social Security. I know you want to think that you're putting money in there and it's on deposit and it's in a separate trust fund 
And some people say that, and the media tells you. But, you know, fake news wasn't invented with Donald Trump. And before they had fake news, they had fake history. But the reality is, Social Security has never been solvent. The purpose of Social Security is not to guarantee you a retirement program, but to guarantee that the United States could borrow more money against its new collateral your labor. And that's what it was really all about. So, anyway, if you don't believe that, you don't have to. But if you want to find out if that's true, we got lots of articles. Maybe I'll remember to come back and put some of them there at the bottom of that page or on the on the right-hand side pa- panel. I'm reading this all out of... Uh, I'm using my notes in uh, uh, preparingyou.com if you, those of you don't know. It has the whole Bible there and it has a whole lot more there. But Hosea is there and I've been building side panels for your study purposes so you can actually understand these guys and we're going to go through all those prophets eventually. So in Hosea 13 it says, When Ephraim spake trembling, he exalted himself in Israel. So Ephraim is not exactly Israel. Ephraim is in Israel. And to some degree, Israel is in Ephraim, depending on how you're using the word. But when he offended in Baal, he died. And now they sin more and more and have made them molten images of their silver and idols according to their own understanding, all of it the works of craftsmen, They say of them, let the men that sacrifice kiss the calves. So what is that all about? Kiss the calves. What are they talking about? Uh, Molten images. Again, um, idols. Why do they have molten images uh, of their silver and idols according to their own understanding? Again, just like the altars of clay and stone are actually assemblies of men. The altars of stone are the Levites and the altars of clay are the people gathering together in free assemblies. Not baked together like, you know, hard stone, but individual free assemblies. Those are metaphors. The molten image of uh, Their silver is like the golden calf. It's your reserve fund. It's your central bank. It's putting your wealth in a common purse. Proverbs tells, go read the Proverbs on one purse. And uh, they say, let the men that sacrifice kiss their calves. The golden calf is what they're talking about. The problem is your golden calf is in Fort Knox and you don't own it anymore. It's all gone as collateral to the Assyrians, the merchants of men. They've taken all your gold, the the lawful title. Remember we talked this morning about legal title and you can go back to uh, Hosea 10, I think, and maybe even in Hosea 9 you'll find links to the article on legal title at Preparing You. Legal title is an apparent title that carries with it no beneficial interest. We said that this morning. 
which means the right to use the property. You don't have a right to use the property. If you want to use the property, you have to pay a use tax on it. Same as your income tax is a use tax on your labor. You don't own your labor. If you want to use your labor, you want to benefit from your labor, you have to pay a use tax, which is could have been 20% in Egypt, but it may be 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90% today depending on what country you're in, what tax bracket you're in, but it's probably going to go up because the debt's going up. So, or else the benefits are going to go down, one or the other. You can't have these things continuing at the same rate in opposite directions. Something's going to get stretched and snap. So, uh, you know, I have links there to the story on the golden calf so you can understand that. I have links there on Balaam. So you can understand the error of Balaam. And uh, the question is, are you willing to learn about what we have forgotten, which is of the Lord? Are you going to learn the difference between the works of righteousness and the works of iniquity? So, again, we're, we're, we're in Hosea 13, and we see this exalted himself in Israel and offended Baal and he died and now they sin more and more with those central banks where all their wealth is in the central bank their land is not theirs anymore there has been there was a year of jubilee but uh, nobody gave you your rights back and you were too consumed with getting more and more benefits that you forgot it so, you know, when I talked this morning about this uh, preacher, which I may look up more about him, Steve, in uh, New Mexico, or is it Arizona? Is it Arizona? New Mexico. New Mexico, Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, Steve uh, Smotherman. Man, Smotherman. I haven't even heard how it was pronounced. Anyway, somebody jotted it down on the back of an envelope and I have to keep looking at it. <laughs> so, anyway, but I'll look up more because, like I said, he's on kind of the right track, but I don't know how much he knows. Certainly the people in there, they were all saying they were against Marxism and socialism, but even the right is still for socialism. I heard uh, the President of the United States talking today and he was talking about school choice. That's great. You have school choice. You can go to this public school or that public school. This charter school or that charter school. But school choice is a step in the right direction. But the real direction is homeschool and private school. And back the way it was when America was great. Where we create our own financial institutions through charity. And those who can pay will pay. But those who can't pay can still have a free education. You want free education? I think that's absolutely reasonable. That you should want free education. I think you should be able to pursue it. But I think the people that pick up your slack should have the right to choose whether or not they want to help you out. They're they're the ones that are putting up the labor and everything. Redistribution of wealth is a real thing in the kingdom of God. We just don't do it by force. We do it by love and charity. If we don't, We won't create the bonds. We won't draw near the ways of Christ. We will not receive his light and understanding. Verse 3. Therefore, 
They shall be as the morning cloud and as the early dew that passeth away, as the chaff that is driven with the whirlwind out of the floor, as the smoke out of the chimney. Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God but me. For there is no Savior besides me. So who's going to save you? Is Trump going to save you? I don't know that, you know, he talks like he almost is going to be a Savior. I don't know. I pray he didn't carry it away anymore with his vanity. But I know that I can't control that. I can't control you. I can control me. That I do not gauge in covetous practices. That I preach the kingdom, which is a government. Of the people, for the people, by the people. Based on faith, hope, and charity and the perfect law of liberty. That's what the kingdom of God is. Did you know that that phrase, some of you do, who listen regularly. That phrase, a government of the people, for the people, and by the people, did not originate with Abraham Lincoln. He stole that. I don't say he stole it. It's free for anybody to get it. (laughs) He got that. From the Bible. Not in the text of the Bible, but in the uh, preface, in the foreword to the first Wycliffe Bible. It's written in there. This is the book for the government of the people, for the people, and by the people. Because if you want a free government, that's what the Bible is telling you how to do to have a free government. Yet I am the Lord thy God from the land of Egypt, and thou shalt know no God. But me. That's what you do when you create these institutions. The idols according to their own understanding. You make gods of men. The ruling judges. That's what the word gods mean. And I should put a link there so you can go to our article on gods. And gods many. And how they become. That's one of the big fights now. Who's going to be on the Supreme Court? Who's going to decide good and evil for you? Now I'm... I'm not trying to do away with the Supreme Court. I'm not trying to tear down their government. I'm pointing out that it's not according to the teachings that we see from God in Deuteronomy. It's not even according to the teachings we see from Jesus Christ. I just want you to personally, and this is the beauty of America and many countries, is that you can turn around your thinking. You can gather in religion in free assemblies to take care of one another so that you don't need the benefactors who exercise authority. Jesus didn't say to leave the world. He said to live in the world. Just don't live of it. Don't bite one another through systems of social welfare. You don't have to sign up for those welfare. Now, right now, you have signed up and you're collateral for debt. You may have to pay your tally of bricks. But if you repent like the Israelites did, start taking care of one another, especially during hard times, which they may offer you here pretty soon, <laughs> you can you you can have God intervene just like he did on the shores of the Red Sea. I did not know thee in the wilderness, in the land of great drought. According to their pastures, so were they filled. They were filled. And their heart was exalted. 
Therefore have they forgotten me. See, that's what happens. Things get too good and people forget God. But then they get bad again. Therefore I will be unto them as a lion, as a leopard. By the way, will I observe them. I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps and will rend the call of their hearts and there will I devour them like a lion. The wild beast shall fear them. So this is, this is what, uh, is actually talked about in Ezekiel. Uh, this reference to a bear and leopard. Don't, don't you remember some of those from, uh, from other prophets like, like, uh, Ezekiel and, and, uh, Daniel? Where they represent countries? There's more prophecy in Hosea than a lot of people realize. But the key thing is that you need to return to the bride of Christ for your benefits. And the bride of Christ needs to straighten up their act. The bride of Christ is not the daughters of the harlot. The the harlot who rides the beast. Uh, and it's not the daughters of the harlot who... I mean, like, how in the world can you be a minister of Christ... And be going to men who exercise authority one over the other to provide you with your social welfare. How can, how can a minister of Jesus Christ do that? Well actually if you join us on the network, you sit down in the tens, hundreds and thousands and you want to really become a minister and servant of Christ, we will show you how God has provided a path, a labyrinth a path through the labyrinth of laws that men have set up for themselves and those idols, those according to their own understanding. God has left a path for those who want to seek the kingdom. And one of the jobs of the ministers of Christ, just like there was a job of the Levites who were the ministers of God for Moses, was to maintain an entrance to the kingdom of God. Maintain an entrance to that liberty of God when he took us out of Egypt. I can show you that. But there is no reason to show you that unless you want to knock on that door of Christ. And that you won't even find the door of Christ. You won't even understand that it exists. This door to the kingdom of heaven through Christ. If you don't repent. And start, stop seeking the rewards of unrighteousness and start trying to become the benefits of Christ by benefiting one another, by loving one another. I will meet them as a bear that is bereaved of her whelps. That there are several layers to that. There will be a bear. <laughs> there will be a leopard. These are metaphors, but I'm not going to tell you all what those mean. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. You know, I've often said, and I would be banned on Facebook if they heard this recording, George Floyd killed himself. His deeds killed him. His taking of drugs killed him. His breaking of the law killed him. He did not die from a cop pressing on his neck. 
choking him so he couldn't breathe. He said he couldn't breathe before he was even on the cement. When he was still in the car, he couldn't breathe. He couldn't breathe because he was having heart trouble. He was having heart trouble because he took enough uh, fentanyl to kill two men. Those were his choices. I I wish I could save him from those choices, but he's beyond my reach now. Just like the boy who shot himself a few weeks ago was beyond my reach. I can't help him. But if you can hear me, you are not beyond help. But who can help you more than anybody is Christ. You have to repent and actually seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And coveting your neighbor's goods is not righteous. But you're going to need to help your neighbor just as you would want to be helped. In order for you to expect that help or even have hope of that help, you have to start coming together and caring for one another as Christ commanded. I will be thy kingdom where is any other that may save thee in all thy cities. If you look at the cities of America, uh, that was another thing the President of the United States was talking about, and he's right about that, uh, that the cities are a mess, and they've been in this socialist democratic control for decades upon decades for decades. And they are just devastating the lives of the people. Socialism destroys the people. That's what Plutarch said. It degenerates them. So, in all thy cities and thy judges of whom thou saidst, sayest, that's hard to say, whom thou sayest, give me a king and a princess. This is this is what you've done. You've wanted a ruler. You've got a ruler. He takes and takes and takes and takes. And eventually you cry out and God says, I will not hear you. This is Samuel 8. So how are you going to get God to hear you? Well, you have to repent and think differently and walk differently. And your doings have to be different. I gave thee a king in mine anger and took him away in my wrath. The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up. His sin is hid. The sorrows of a traveling woman shall come upon him. He is an unwise son, for he should not stay long in the places of the breaking forth of children. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plague. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. Well, that probably needs some dissecting, and I'm looking at the time, and we're not going to have the time to do it. We only have a couple more verses. But we will probably review this a little bit more next week. And... uh take you to where you need to go, but you need to start to to obtain those blessings of God, that protection of God. You have to want to protect others. If you want forgiveness, what does he say? If you don't forgive others, neither will my Father forgive you. If you will not give to others, neither will my Father give to you. But you can't just throw money out the window. You have to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and rightly divide the bread from house to house because there may not be enough if you don't. That's the way of the kingdom. 
That's the way of Israel. That's why they built their temples of living stone originally. They didn't build a temple of stone until David started doing it. And even he put it off because, again, David was constantly repenting. The early church was building with lively stones. The altars were always meant to be men you trust. If they become untrustworthy, you you have the free choice and the free assembly right to gather with other men and trust in them and give to them and get to know them. But really what you get need to get to know is Christ himself. And that's that's where people need to go is to the ways of Christ. Until next week, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.